Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Dr. Jamie Pineda, a professor of cognitive science, neuroscience, and psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego. He's also the author of many widely cited papers in human cognitive and systems neuroscience. In today's episode, Dr. Pineda talks about his new book, Controlling Mental Chaos, Harnessing the Power of the Creative Mind. This book teaches you four highly effective strategies for shutting down our uncontrolled thoughts and finding a place of deep creativity and calmness. Welcome to Psychology. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. I am as well. I mean, we all have experienced so much chaos in our life, and so I'm looking forward to hearing how you would help us control that. But before we get started, though, how did you, what would drew you to the, the world of psychology? Yeah, well, um, started when I was nine years old. I, I came to the U.S. at nine years old, and in order to do that, I had to leave my parents, my family, my culture, my language um, to find a better education, basically. Uh, but wow. that began my questioning of, you know, what defines my identity? Because I found myself in a brand new place. I had to find a new identity, basically. And and so questions wow. about identity have uh, have always been in the background of my mind. And I got interested mm -hmm. in psychology because of that. I wanted to know, you know, what makes me who I am? What, you mm. know, why do I behave the way I am, et cetera? And, uh, and so my my undergrad degree is in psychology. Uh, but then psychology wasn't enough for me because it didn't really answer the questions <laughs> I was after. Yeah. Uh, and so I decided I need to study the hardware part of the, you know, what makes me who I am. I need to study the brain and, and how the brain generates the mind. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. got a PhD in, in neuroscience trying to wow. get after those questions. Um, so that's, that's how it came about. Uh, and then the neuroscience itself wasn't, enough uh wow. all I needed, right sir <laughs> you know uh, science science was good up to a point and then i decided wow. that i needed more of a more subjective sort of understanding of of the mind and so i began yeah. a 30-year process of uh, contemplative practices so i've been involved wow. in contemplative practices for 30 years mm -hmm. and so the mm -hmm. my interest is really understanding the mind the brain how it all yes. works but both from a science and, and a uh, subjective perspective. 
Correct. Yes. And so for those of you who don't know what the contemplative uh, aspects are, the studies he's talking about is more mysticism, more spirituality, more something greater than our physical body right now. So you, you kind of connect all that together, which is fantastic. Now, to, to come to the States at nine years old, I can't imagine how that was. I mean, my gosh, the resilience you must have must have been, you know, born from you, born out of that or came out of that. I, I can't imagine how powerful that was for you. Do you often use that or do you often go back and reflect about that nine-year-old boy, how his mentality was, what what kind of caused him to be the person he is today? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I know, I, I remember that I cried for about a week, <laughs> sure. you know, uh, sure. I, I, you know I realized I, I didn't have everybody that I knew wasn't around me. Um, but I think it gave me that kind of resiliency that you're talking about, you know, it gave mm -hmm. me a certain strength after I got over the, the pain of it. Uh, I realized that I had to sort of find my own voice, find my own set of, you know, my own strength and, and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. that, it really was helpful. Do you talk about, or just, just a little off topic here, but do you talk about, or do you ever really focus on resilience? What causes resilience? Because we all have it. Some, sometimes it's activated at different times and sometimes it's just not, but it's all, we all have it within our, within our psyche. Do you often mm -hmm. think about or talk about that? How, what causes the resilience? What causes it to be activated for some and, and not for others? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the way I think of it is is more from a, a science uh, perspective. We talk about flexibility of the brain, flex, flexibility of the mind. You know, what causes flexibility in in the mind are really uh, there are certain circuits in the frontal cortex, for example, that are very mm -hmm. important to to determine that kind of flexibility. And I think what happens is over time when we start. Uh, making a lot of memories, for example, that begins mm -hmm. to slow down that kind of flexibility. And so ha having wow. more and more uh, dependence on memory-based actions is, is, is what I think takes us away from the kind of spontaneous, flexible, uh, creative sort of energy that we, we naturally have. Yeah. So I talk about that in the book. Yeah. Oh, do you? Oh, perfect. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Cause I would think that we have all have like an anticipatory response. So for example, if I'm going to sit down in this chair here, I have the, my anticipation and the response is going to be the chair is going to be there when I sit down. So I think a lot of times we do have that anticipatory response aspect. I, if someone does something to me or the situation happens, I, for my past, I've, I was going to say, well, this is what's going to happen. So in that, I don't necessarily realize that I may have other options. And so I'm assuming that's roughly what you're saying as far as the anticipation of what's going to happen as opposed to what can I do when it does happen? Absolutely. I mean, we think of the brain as a predictive machine. You know, it's always looking ahead like five seconds, you know, as to what, what's yeah. going to happen in the next five seconds. And it utilizes all your experiences, all your memory to make those anticipatory uh, predictions. Uh, otherwise, they yeah. wouldn't be able to, right? So, yeah. Oh, well, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I, well, I don't want to give away all the four stages, you know, in your book because I definitely want my viewers and listeners to purchase the book. But let's transition into your book. The book is called Controlling Mental Chaos: Harnessing the Power of the Creative Mind. What happened for you that you were like, "Oh my goodness, my goodness, I need to write this book." What was uh, the impetus for it? Oh yeah, I, I mean, I like, like everyone else. I, I you know, I, I, I experienced mental chaos. And, and for yes. me, it was a, a deep anxieties that I had when I was growing mm. up. I, and I don't know sure. what the cause of those anxieties were, but I had anxieties about just about everything. And uh, in my professional life, it manifested in what's been called imposter syndrome. You know, I was mm -hmm. uh, a member of a faculty at a university and I felt like I didn't belong. I, you know, how did I ever get to this place? I, you know, yeah. I'm not up to the standards and things like that. So deep yeah. anxiety about being myself. 
Uh, and I realized that there were certain things that I could start doing to help that. And, uh, and oh, so wow. that's when I began the, uh, the practice, these contemplative practices, meditation, mm -hmm. mindfulness. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and little by little, I realized that something was changing. Something was changing. Wow. And uh, at some point, I got to, uh, to say, I don't want to be anxious anymore. You know? Mm. Wow. And, uh, wow. And, and getting to that point was quite, kind of interesting. Not that I didn't experience anxiety, but it didn't bother me. It didn't affect me as much mm -hmm. after that point. And so, you know, the, uh, the insights, I think, that I began to, sure. to realize is what drove me to write something that could help others. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's going to appreciate you sharing your personal story. It really makes me, I think it's just a powerful statement though, for you to say, I don't want to experience anxiety anymore. When we think about that, people say, of course, well, I don't want to experience anxiety. But I think when someone experiences it for so long, that becomes ingrained in who they are. That becomes their, almost their identity in a lot of ways. So to recognize, I don't want to experience this anymore. I don't want that part of my life to have a control me per se. I think it's such a powerful movement, a powerful statement because you are taking agency you're taking ownership of this is my body that may the anxiety may influence me but it's not a part of who i am oh absolutely and i and i think part of what i realized was that i had to forget a lot of things that that mm -hmm. were in the back of my mind that drove me to yeah. to that anxiety and and in that forgetting or as much as possible set those things aside yeah. i was able to sort of burst through what what i thought was the real me you know and um, mm -hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really neat. You know, it's it's. I think it's it's really interesting because we all have so many different ideas of of who and what we are, and, and there's lots of great things we can look at. Um, our persona, what we represent to others, and we put our shadow, which is the opposite side of what we show the world. And so, but all that is us, and so we get to determine what side of us is shown and which one we are which one we're proud of, which ones we really want to to demonstrate who we are. And so, sometimes people don't realize that. The parts we don't like are part of us, but it also shows you when the darkest side of us can also be the lightest side of us. And so it's a learning how to use those different aspects to be able to live a life that's, that's on purpose or live a life that is fulfilled as well. But before yeah. we get started in your book, I wanted to say this real fast. So we were talking about chaos here, mental chaos. Mm -hmm. Chaos has a lot of different terminologies. And so mm -hmm. just so everyone's on the same, uh, the same wavelength here, what does mental chaos mean to you in specific to your book? Yes. Um, it, yeah, it, it can be a frightening word, right? I mean, you know, we think of mental chaos as, as something happening that you have no control over and, and so forth. Yeah. And it, it can get to that point. Uh, but I think what 80% of us experience is what I would call uh, states of ambiguity, states where we oh, don't right. know the answer to things. Mm -hmm. We're searching for an answer to a problem, and we just don't know where to go or to, how to, how to yeah. solve that problem. And so the mind spins and spins. That's the chaos that I'm, I'm talking oh, about. And that's what 80% mm -hmm. of us experience. So it's a state yeah. of ambiguity. Yeah. I, would, I would say it's a state of unknowingness. We don't know the mm -hmm. answer. And of course, we're very uncomfortable with not knowing, with uncertainty. And so we, sure. we sort of jump all, all, all over the place trying to figure things out. Yeah, and I think I could go from the from moment to moment, and then also um, farther out in the future. For example, if I for this show right now, if I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, that can cause that that uncertainty or that the wavering mm -hmm. or that ambiguity as I'm trying to figure out, you know, shuffle through the right questions and my thoughts. Whereas I think if something we have a goal or a plan that seems monumental, we don't know how to do that. I think that also causes that that uh, ambiguity as well. And so I think it can be from the moment as well as future future face future um, activities as well. Is that correct? 
Oh, you know, absolutely. I mean, yeah. one of the reasons why we're also good at dealing with uh, ambiguity is because we are able to plan ahead, right? And and so when you're mm -hmm. able to plan ahead, you you have a certain direction that you can go to, and that minimizes that state of of not knowingness. But there are yeah. points that we come to when we really don't know things, when we're faced with yeah, a problem, true, and we just don't know how to go you know, A, B, C, or D. And, mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and like I said, the mind then begins to spin. And, uh, and, yes. and for me, that state is actually a positive thing. So I, I you know, this is what mm -hmm. comes through in the book that instead of, instead of seeing uh, chaos as a negative thing, mm -hmm. I want to think of it as a positive potential to uh, learn something out of that chaos, out of that ambiguity. Mm -hmm. There's a potential for something new. And and so I, I think of it as a, a state of creativity that is unfocused. Interesting. So chaos to me is also the state of the brain is creatively trying to find answers, but it's not able to. And and it's a matter of helping it find the right answer, getting to that re resolution. Uh, so it's an opportunity for growth. Yeah, I, I really, really like that. So I think the way I'm hearing that as well is it's just like we have uh, free free thoughts I mean, if we can write words down or brainstorm. I can see that as chaos being the ability to brainstorm situations. It doesn't mean you're going to work through half of the, the ideas you come up with, but gives you the opportunity to kind of look at a situation where you have control over it as opposed to it controlling you. I remember it was, well, not it's actually pretty, pretty recent for me. I went through a really bad loss of, of something. And I remember as I was grieving through that, I... I had this epiphany. Yes, this hurts right now. And how exciting is it going to be on the other side of this? So I pivoted my, my grief to look at the lessons and, the, and how I'm going to be on the other side of a situation. And in that, the joy I found from that allowed me to kind of spin it, the, the chaos, to say, yes, I don't know half the stuff that's going on, but I know how I want to be. And I'm excited how I'm going to be. So it gave me my, my, the direction and the goal of how I wanted to go. And, and, and as I'm working through that, I find that that's, that's my it's my, uh, my lodestone or my touchstone rather. And so I think that's one thing people can do as well is to maybe look at the lesson or look at the other side of the situation, whether it's great or small, and kind of figure out where they want to be, which can kind of, like I said, lead them in their true north. This is, is a powerful cognitive strategy that I'm, you know, you're familiar with, and, and we call it reframing, right? Where we mm -hmm. reframe the negativity and, and look at it from a different perspective and realize that there's yeah. actually opportunity in that rather than focusing on the negative, we focus on the positive. Correct. So it's a matter of reframing and anybody can do this with your mm -hmm. thoughts because they're basically just thoughts uh, to, yes. to reframe things, to look at it. Uh, and so a lot of creative individuals, for example, they, they see problems as opportunities, right? Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is what makes them creative individuals, right? They, they, they realize that there's a potential to learn something new, to go forward, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we look at all the different entrepreneurs and, and inventors, they, there's a problem in the world and they figure out how to solve it. So in that, they take that chaos and then they solve it and all of a sudden they make millions of dollars, which is great. There you go. <laughs> is, is this book, is this book, uh, Controlling Mental Chaos, Harnessing the Power of the Creative Mind, is this a workbook or work, academic book? What kind of book is it? Uh, it's a self-help book. That's how I okay. structured it, right? In, in my yeah. mind. But, you know, because I, I bring my science background and, and my personal uh, perspective, it's a combination of both, right? So it's, it's got the self-help aspect to it, but it's got the science. If you're interested in knowing why, what is it that, that's changing in your brain when, when you make that reframing, mm, you know, we know a lot awesome. about the, the cognitive aspects of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I talked a little awesome, bit about yeah. that. 
but I also have, um, uh, I, I suggest a number of, of things that people can do to get them from the uncontrolled mind to the more controlled mind. So you know, with the, with the process, yeah, so, perfect. With the process of that, of getting to that creative, that creative mind, I, I, you, I know you said in your book, you have the four, four unique steps that you, you talk about, and I don't want to necessarily go into the specifics of it, but, but to go from that controlled chaos to, to finding that calmness and stillness that happens. And all of a sudden chaos happens again. How does your book or how do you help people continue to maintain that ability to stay in more of that creative, uh, peace filled? Or more controlled state or of ordered state rather than go into the chaos because it's going to continue to swirl all the time. Right. So the, the basic uh, foundational error, I think that, that the mind uh, mm -hmm. makes is that it's so dependent on prior actions. And so I, I call creativity controlled chaos, creativity controlled okay. chaos. Okay. And so how do we go from uncontrolled aspects to the more creative control aspect? Mm -hmm. And and what I think it is, is that the mind during the uncontrolled aspect is, is uh, depending too much on what it did before, on prior experiences. And so it spins and spins okay. because those prior experiences don't help you break through the problem. Sure. Uh, and so what, what you need to do is set those aside, S set those memories aside, mm -hmm. reduce your dependency on the past or on predictions on the future sure. and be sort of centered in the present. And I think that that's part of the key. How do you go from uncontrolled to control? Center yourself in the present. And, and mm -hmm. then it bypasses those memories. And we know from science that that is the case. When you're mm -hmm. living in the moment, you're bypassing what sure. are called autobiographical right. memories, accessing right. those biographical memories, which are you know giving you this dependence on the past. So sure. that's one, yeah, one exactly. aspect. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And I'm wondering, though, if we can look at the past in the sense of uh, the situation may be different, but the emotions that we're currently experiencing may be, may be very similar to things that have happened in the past. Could we focus on the past things that we did to work through that emotion to bring us to a place of stillness and not necessarily the, the cause of the chaos, but looking at what were the actionable steps I took? Uh, for example, for me experiencing grief, if I can look back in previous grief filled situations and say, what did I do that worked for me to help me work through this? What I do that didn't help me, you know, work through this, but I can use those techniques to bring me to my center today to be able to help me in the future. Is that something yes, people I, can no, do as well? Absolutely. I, you know, I'm not arguing Perfect. that we, we totally give up the past. Of course, I mean, of course, we, we learn, learn, we learn from the past and we need to extract those lessons in order to move forward. Sure. So that's absolutely necessary. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, utilizing it appropriately though. Of course. Yeah, of course. That's a key word appropriate. I think sometimes we forget, we get lost and re-traumatized by the past situation and then all of a sudden our grief is compounded. So of course, I really appreciate Absolutely. you saying that as well. Yes. Now, when it comes to being centered, people have, um, you know, I've seen movies, people are like, I'm centered now. I know it's, it's a joke, but what are ways in which um, we specifically can be centered to stay present in the moment? Because, you know, our mind can have what's called a cognitive drift where we're, you know, our mind oh, wavers yeah. and thinks about many different things. Um, or we have different aspects that just pull us out of that being centered. What are specific yeah. ways in which a person can say centered to be able to start controlling their mental chaos? Yeah, no, and I like to start by, by just uh, saying that um, it, uh, meditation is really the training of attention. You're training how to be attentive. Mm -hmm. But there are varieties yeah. of attention. You know, one is focused attention. And, and uh, this is the tendency that we have in our culture is to utilize focused attention way too much. 
but there's mm. another aspect of attention, which which is called open awareness, which is more of the undivided attention where, where you look at things, you're looking at a beautiful sunset and you're simply experiencing that beauty, you know, without saying anything, analyzing it, whatever. That's an aspect of attention that we don't cultivate in our culture, this open awareness. And so yeah. I think when we say uh, living in the moment, living in the present, I'm talking about accessing that open awareness type of attention where you open yourself up, you have no filters, you let things mm. in, but you try not to analyze, not to judge, not to, you know, just simply experiencing sure. these things. Yeah. And I think that's very and, difficult for a lot of people because, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. I would think that that'd be difficult for a lot of people in the sense of because we have so much stimuli, so much technology, et cetera, that, that it can be hard for people not to pass judgment, not to focus specifically, you know, hone in on one specific aspect mm -hmm. of perhaps that sunset. Are, are, are there ways in which as we, we are aware of this? Is it our five senses we use to help us be open to our environment or is it more something internal, more spiritual to help us stay, stay focused like that? How would you kind of differentiate between the, the five senses versus the internal self? Yeah, I, well, I, I don't think there's a difference in in my mind. I mean, I, I think the, the the five senses are the uh, the channels that let in the energy from the outside, and then there's an internal yeah. energy that that interacts with with that external energy, and it's the combination of mm -hmm. the, of those two things that leads us to our experiences, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're right, absolutely right. The the world is such that you know we're distracted by all sorts of things, so the Recommendation is always to take, you know, a moment, a quiet place where you can start practicing this stuff because, you know, you don't want to be yeah. interrupted by all this. But the more you practice, the more you realize that you can actually do it any place in the middle of a mm -hmm. storm, as the Zen Buddhists say, you know, you can be That's calm in the middle of a storm, but you That's have to practice. That's the thing. And, and so you start basically in a place, sitting down mm -hmm. quietly and, and, and trying to do this, this practice. Yes. And you know, the, the finding that quietude and stillness in the storm, uh, many times people don't really understand that. And because, you know, it's, it's a storm. Of course, you have to be off frenetic and have to be like, ah, uh, but to, to recognize that when we find that quietude, that is our strength. And in that strength comes our comes our ability to overcome any obstacle we may face. And it kind of goes back to maybe some of that resilience as well. Mm -hmm. uh, recognizing that we all have the resilience, whether it's been activated to certain levels or not. But the point is, it's there. And so I think your book, uh, Controlling Mental Chaos, Harnessing the Power of the Creative Mind, probably what will really help people recognize their, their agency, their ability to find that stillness, to find their ability to, to find the, the resilience to be able to overcome any obstacle they may face as well. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for them to read this. Yes, uh, thank you. And, you know, I, and just to reemphasize that this ability is something that it is innate in us. I mean, we have that ability, yes. right? It's just that we don't cultivate it. We don't practice it. And so we need to pay attention to it and practice it. Uh, but it's there. It, it's not something you mm -hmm. need to learn. You know, it's innate. In yeah, it is there, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. You've been thinking more so about that, like, so in the, in the chaos, once again, gives us the opportunity to practice resilience. And so I think the recognition of, just like you said, we don't practice it enough. If we recognize that, oh, this, I don't like this chaos, but I can practice what resilience means for me. And in that we find we become more empowered, more strengthened. And so therefore we can get to the other side of it. So, you know, I think it all works together from the first question I asked you about the resilience too, as we wrap up here as well. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
So unfortunately, our time is up. We could, uh, you and I could talk about this all day. I mean, I'm, I, I could tell them I'm <laughs> speaking more quickly now as I get more excited about it. <laughs> but, but Dr. Jamie Pineda, if my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and to purchase your book, Controlling Mental Chaos, Harnessing the Power of the Creative Mind, where will they find all this information online? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, the book is sold on Amazon and on in Barnes and Noble, and and I have a website called theunencumberedmind.com that people can go to and and buy it. Awesome. Okay, my viewers and listeners also know that if you can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com and link it with Dr. Jamie Pineda and his book one more time, Controlling Mental Chaos: Harnessing the Power of the Creative Mind. Thank you once again. I appreciate all your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.